Thank you so much for joining us again on Growing Up on Death Row at 17. Me and Brian are right here. We're going to talk about the book that we've been working on and it's an ongoing process. And uh, we are making progress. Brian, you want to tell us about it and what your thought process is for wanting to do it? Well, the thought process for me wanting to do it is the fact that people understand things when they read it. People can sit down, study, look at it, and analyze it. The book, like I say, the book is basically set out for those who have kids as out here in the streets, man, and run around with gang members. It actually details the trust factor that your kids build with other kids that consider themselves gang members. Trust factor, what I mean is he thinking they're going to be there for him all the time. He thinking he go, they're going to be in his corner. They're going to support him. They're going to send him money if he go to jail. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And to be quite honest with you, man, I ain't heard them like one friend. I had like 40 of them. Ain't heard nothing about them. none of them. Ain't, they ain't never sent me nothing, never wrote me a letter, nothing else. Not only that, I feel the courts right now, they have a thing to where they take the mercy of kids and put it in the mercy of people who have no mercy in them. So this book here basically helps you it guides you through the standards that you probably see in your kids, the anger factor. You know what I'm saying? I had I, in my book, I talk about that. I go dig deep back in. I found out my anger come from my childhood of being neglected, being raised by grandmothers, never getting Christian prayers, things of this nature. And I carry that on into my adulthood. And the thing of it is, I felt since my testimony have already stood the test of time and I made it through it, I'm going to give the world to it for free. And let them know, man, these are the things to look for when you see your child doing this or see your child doing that or misbehaving like this or behaving like that. My book will give you the answers for that because I got I wear the face of all of them, David. So when you're going back and self-reflecting and digging deep, because you know, I've read some of it, and I wonder, is there a point where you see yourself and say, if I could go back, I'd go a different route? Where you could catch yourself and say, I never would have been incarcerated in the first place if I would have did this. I really can't say that, David. You know why I can't say that? Because at that time, at nine years old, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. That's something I didn't know. That's something only my mother knew. So basically, when it all boiled down at nine to 10 years old, you're not even responsible for yourself. Your parents are responsible for you. They are responsible to guide you through tough times to help you understand the reality of the real world and try to give it to you to where you can understand it. But my point of thing will say you do know right from wrong though. They always say right from wrong, but the courts say different. Scientists say different. A child basically know the difference between right or wrong. And that's true, but they don't know the consequences of those right or wrong actions. Right. See, it's a total difference. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people can say, huh? No, so there's a big difference. It's yeah. a big difference. Right. Yeah. And I didn't understand the consequences of right or wrong. But how could I make a judgment on something was right or wrong when I never was taught what was right or wrong? See, the thing of it is, when you're thrown into a household with family members, I got 10 aunties, man. Each one of them had three or four kids. My mom got married, moved her boyfriend. They didn't want me there because I, he wasn't my biological father. So she went with him and I stayed in the inner city with my grandmother. Stepped on the floor. So the thing of it is, I felt like at times I probably was in her way. Because she had all her grand, her kids and her grandkids, too. You know what I'm saying? So when you living in a house like that, and then we got two houses, one a yellow house and a green one on Terry, and it's 17 people in each house. Now, I lived with my grandmama in her house. 
But at the same time, I never got that parenting skill, you know, that, that grab a hand on it. Your mama ain't here, at least I'm going to leave you. No, it was, get it how you live. And that's how I end up going to prison. Let me ask you this, is, and that's one thing we distinguish between the two houses. How often were you in the other house in terms of just hanging out or being with your cousins? Yeah, I played over there a lot growing up at 9, 10, 11 years old. We always went to that house and played in there because it was bigger. The basement had eight rooms that was cut off into the walls and had a storm door. You have to live before you go into the basement. You know what I'm saying? So basically, that house had more memories than anything. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the house I went to when I first was born and came to St. Louis. You know what I'm saying? And then my grandfather ended up getting the house next door because his sister owned the house. But his sister passed away and left him that house as well. So now I okay. got two houses. So my grandfather actually let my aunties, my 10 aunties, he let them have that house over there. And my grandma and my grandfather went to the house next door, which was more better and beautiful. You know what I'm saying? And I ended up living over there with them. But as time went on, it turned out the same situation it was in the yellow house. It was 16 to 17 people in each house when the time went on. Hey, you really didn't get away from nothing for real. Was there interaction? Did we have like big dinners or each house was separate in terms of how everybody interacted? Yeah, each house was separate. You had, I got the, my oldest aunties, they was to live next, in the other house. So they had their kids and five oldest sisters had their kids over there at the yellow house, which was my mama and all them. Yeah. But my mama ended up getting married and moving out. So now I got abandoned and had to go to the house of my grandfather because I wasn't getting along with my auntie's kids and cousins in that house. But a typical Saturday and Sunday, man, was joyful, cool. All of us played all day, every day. It was just, we were just kids, just having fun. We didn't know the difference between dirt on our hands or dirt on our face. We didn't know the difference until they washed it off of us. We really just lived life, man. Carefree world at that time. I'm just trying to picture... For instance, on Sunday, there was there a big Sunday dinner and everybody oh, in nah. the houses got together. Nah, only time okay. we had big dinners like that was on holiday. Okay. Everybody working nine to five. This was like in the late 70s and early 80s. Money wasn't plentiful like it is now. But at the same time, a big dinner in our eyes was a big pot of, like every Saturday, we'd get a big pot of pinto beans, cornbread, ham hocks, you know what I'm saying? These things of this nature. Mm -hmm. And like I say, it was never a day to where we was out food, out of water, anything, lights, water, nothing. Everything was always taken care of. It's just that me personally wasn't. Right. Yeah. You didn't have the love and attention that you needed. Right. And seeing that there, as you get older, you realize that's something that's been missing in your life. But you never understood it because you never had it. And what you got to understand, too, David, is this here. My grandfather was an alpha male. You know what I'm saying? He was about six mm -hmm. foot five. You know? And he didn't really, he didn't allow none of the boys get breastfed or nothing. So we didn't really have no bonds with our mothers and nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? And he raised us warriors for real. Basically, that's what he did. But at the same time, as I get older in life, I loved it because now I know how to grasp hold of myself. He gave me all the tools and the skills to make it in life without depending on a feeling that you have for somebody else or a courage that you have for somebody else that I still can survive right. even if they had that courage with me or not. 
how much did you interact with his parents or, or did oh, you at all? No, I never met my grandfather's mother. I met my grandfather's okay. dad. Yeah, he lived with us. He actually stayed with us over there on Terry for a couple of years. And when he turned like 113, he ended up moving out with my grandfather's sister, my Aru. Okay. Yeah, he ended up moving out there with her because of the simple fact of the matter is we, he wasn't, we didn't have the necessities like the house ramps and things like this that he needed on a daily basis. When he got like 113, he was in a wheelchair all the time now. You know what I'm saying? So before he got put in the wheelchair, Rama, he was like 108 or 9. When I was like 10 or 11, he used to always just go out the house and we had to go find him. He'd be somewhere in the alley, just down the street somewhere, just sitting there looking at you laughing. At that age, he, was, he had lost it. But that's a testimony within itself, the fact that he lived so long. How old was he when he passed away? 114, almost 115 when he passed away. Wow. But he outlived all his kids. He outlived all his kids. He outlived all of them. My grandfather, well, I say he outlived my grandfather because my grandfather died four or five months after he did. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't have yeah, he did. pretty much outlived everybody. And the thing of it is, at 100 and 101, he was steady picking bad tubs up, putting them on trucks and things of this nature. You know what I'm saying? So I believe the strength and the courage that a lot of people have in life, David, you know what I'm saying? It's that, man, your mind is a powerful tool. But if you shortcut yourself mentally, you can shortcut yourself physically because you're telling yourself you can't see and you can't do this and you can't do that. My grandfather done it all the way to he was 110 years old before he didn't get the wheelchair to he was like 113. Right. You can put limitations on yourself. Right. So basically, the whole aura of the story is when it comes to the book, man, it details a lot of fine things about life. And as I told you before, I blame my mother for my upbringing, but I blame myself for getting in that car. You see what I'm saying? The day. I was locked up. But I feel as though if I was taken serious as a child and she was being a mother, I would have been where she been and she would have went out to St. Charles County. I should have been out there with her. But instead, I left in the city. Now, I didn't pick up all these bad habits. I didn't pick up selling drugs because now I'm thrown in a situation to where I'm in a family full of a house full of aunties and cousins that if one fall, his mama can go hug him. If I fall, I got to go sit my head down the corner somewhere. You see what I'm saying? So it was a lot of misguided hate, a lot of misguided tensions. And like I say, man, I still believe that my mother could have been more stronger than what she is or what she portrayed to be at the time. That's bottom line on that. How therapeutic has it been for you to go through and retrace and get all of this out and put it in writing so well, that folks can read it. Well, it's therapeutic, David, because before I started the book, I always wondered, and you don't know if you ever asked yourself, I always wondered, man, why the fuck is I'm so angry all the time? You know what I'm saying? Why don't it take just a little bit for me to go to zero to a thousand? So all them questions that I've been trying to get answered – Right now to this day, I'm 50 years old and still can't get a mouse because it all started from my mother and father. You know what I'm saying? And the thing of it is, my father died in, what, 2001 when I was 27. He died from Agent Orange being over in Vietnam. Right. So 
I can't get no Western out this dude here because this nigga dead now. You see what I'm saying? So then my mother, she's still on some old felonious ass shit. You see what I'm saying? To where she's still playing catch mentally to where she ain't going to give you the answers you're looking for. She ain't going to even hold no conversation with me about it. So ever since that shit, I've been out of prison. I probably spoke to her one time. I ain't said nothing to her ass since then. Is that disappointing? Did you think while you were in jail that once I get out, if I get out, I can reunite with her and we can possibly build a relationship? Nah, I don't know. I never thought about that. To be honest with you, I ain't never liked her ass. You know what I'm saying? Ever since I got locked up. And that hatred I got, man, I'm one of those dudes, man. I got a good heart. I got good intentions. You know what I'm saying? And I really love dealing with people that really know themselves. You know what I'm saying? And when you deal with somebody like that, man, and I think when my head started turning with her head when I got locked up, I was selling drugs, Dave. You hear me? I had like four or 5,000. Right. I left in the house and told her to give it to this attorney. So this attorney could try to help me get out of prison. But couldn't find out. She took the money and did whatever she wanted to do with it. That was that. So I ended up getting found guilty and sent to prison with life without. And during the course of those years, man, 31 years in prison, I didn't really communicate with nobody, communicate with her or anybody. I felt as though I got sentenced to die, so this is my life here. I got to worry about what goes on in here and not what's going on out there. Because some people's hanging themselves, David couldn't handle it. You know what I'm saying? So I figured it out. Like, man, you can't really care about what's going on in the outside world. If you sent it to die, you got to worry about what's going on in here. You got to survive what's in here. This is your life now. So I embodied the whole 31 years of the penitentiary. I embodied the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? And I feel by me going in there at 17 is the reason why I'm still in good shape and good health at 50. Because I wasn't exposed to everything people were exposed to out here. The stress factor wasn't hard on me because I went as a kid. So growing up as a kid in prison at 17, you ain't going to be stressed because your body did adapt to the whole normal activity and routine. You ain't stressing off nothing. Because it's almost like you were raised. You have a level of stress inside, though. Yeah, you have a level of stress inside, but it's it's well guided. It's a stress that you can control. For the simple fact of the matter is, after five years or 10 years, I'm 27. I went 17, 10 years, I'm 27. Okay, I didn't reach. You kind of figured it out. I figured it out. I figured what stresses you, what not stresses you, what puts you in a situation where you won't have a heart attack. My whole goal was I had to cut every motherfucker loose. That's the only way we were going to survive in there, man. And the thing of it is, David, it's hard to say. I mean, to be honest with you, Man, a lot of dudes hung themselves because they weren't getting visits or letters. A lot of them dudes OD'd. A lot of dudes killed themselves. But the thing of it is, in prison, man, if you let this thing get to you like it got to me, like I told you, I almost I ran my head to a door a couple times, bust my head over and tried to get up out the cell because I was in the hole for like three years. But then I realized some a friend of mine came down. He was like, look, Brian, man, you got to find some type of Get away in your mind, man. You got to find a comfort zone to where you can go in your mind, man, to sit back. And I did. I started thinking about the days I was frustrated and angry in the hole. I started thinking about when I was with my grandmother. You know what I'm saying? Things of this nature. Mm-hmm. So I found the peaceful space in my head mentally to where I can go and I can defect from what's really going on within the Department of Correction. I think that really helped me out a lot.